Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Can you believe it's almost November? That's hard to believe. I want to encourage you in a couple things. Uh, first, thank you so many who have been uh, diligent as we strive to show God's love to our neighborhood, our community, and our world. And uh, more and more of the Samaritan's boxes are coming in, and we still have about three weeks for that. Uh, 13th of November is when those uh, we take those to uh, the local collection area. And uh, so that's coming up, and uh, so many have helped with the Bryant School Outreach, and we're excited about that to be able to encourage our local elementary school. And so uh, that's been great. And tomorrow night is Trunk or Treat. And so we uh, have uh, a good amount of candy. It's amazing how much we go through with several hundred young people from the neighborhood. And... Uh, so that's, uh, that's exciting, and so we just uh, want to continue to pray for those. And I don't know if you noticed or have heard, but there's an election coming up. Anybody uh, hear anything about that? Uh, you know, as Christians, as a church, our, our responsibility is to share the gospel and, and encourage people in the relationship with Christ. Scripture talks as... Christians were to be good citizens. And so that includes, and it's vital that we pray for our leaders, that we are good citizens. And I think one of the ways that we're a good citizen is that we vote. So I pray that you will vote, consider uh, the candidates and where they stand, uh, where they stand on biblical issues. And also, as we pray for our leaders and pray for our nation, I want to encourage you, next Sunday night, uh, we have a WANA, which gets done at 6.30, but from about 6.45 till 8 o'clock, we're going to have the auditorium open. It's a couple days before the election takes place. And just encourage people to come and to pray. And uh, it will be... Uh, a very informal time, and you don't need to come to the auditorium to pray. But I encourage you to, to consider that. So that's on the 6th of November, uh, the auditorium. I encourage you to come 6.45 to 8 o'clock, any time in there, to just come and, and uh, we'll pray for our nation. It will be uh, just pray as an individual or as small groups as, as you come. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that Almighty God, you care about us more than we can imagine. Lord, help us to recognize the responsibility we have to respond to your love and your grace with faith and obedience. And Lord, as we look at the life of Jonathan this morning, I pray that we would recognize the characteristics in his life that made him a hero. And Lord, may we have similar characteristics in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I love the, uh, many of the Old Testament stories. Now, obviously, many of them are expanded stories, uh, cover many, many chapters, and of scripture some of them are just a few verses like the guy we looked at last week Enoch 
Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. An amazing story of a faithful servant, a hero. This morning, we're going to look at Jonathan, and he sort of did what uh, the opposite of what heroes are expected to do. And I believe we have a picture here coming up. All right. Do you know those two people? Uh, especially recently in the news. They've been in the news for a while, but uh, recently they've been in the news a lot. Queen Elizabeth and King Charles. Now, in 1952, Queen Elizabeth's father passed away, and so she, being next in line for the throne as a 20-something, became Queen of England. At that time, her son Charles was three years old. And for the next 70 years, Charles was next in line for the throne. And finally, just a very, very short time ago, Charles became the king. Now, I'm wondering if Charles wondered, in fact, I'm sure he did, will I ever be king? Our story this morning is about a young man who recognized that he would never be king, even though he was the one who was supposed to be king, but he recognized God had another plan. So Jonathan was the prince who did not become a king. Jonathan was an interesting man. We don't, we don't know a, a great amount about his background, other than obviously he was the son of Saul, and we see some of the things he did throughout his life. A lot of them in, a, in the military and in his relationship with David and his relationship with his father Saul. So to begin, I'd like to sort of pull out some of the things in, in Jonathan's life in contrast to his father and also in relation to the guy who was going to take his place. First of all, in relationship to his father, or contrast to his father, Jonathan and Saul, like father, not like son. Jonathan's father was the, Saul was the first king of Israel. Physically, Saul stood out. The Bible tells us that he, he was head and shoulders above everyone else. When you saw a crowd, you noticed Saul. Now, while Saul was physically impressive, as a king, he failed miserably. We could choose many, many examples throughout the book of 1 Samuel, about chapter 8 and 9, Saul steps up to be king. And for the rest of 1 Samuel, we see a narrative of the reign of Saul, and many, many times he failed miserably. 1 Samuel chapter 13 is one of those failures. Notice what it says in 1 Samuel 13, beginning in verse 5. It says, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, 
Then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over to the Jordan, to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. So what's going on? There's a very powerful Philistine army. And, and the Israelites, <coughs> excuse me, the Israelites are hiding I mean, they're hiding anywhere they can. In fact, some of them head out to other areas to get away in fear of the Philistines. And that leaves Saul with a dilemma. He's supposed to wait for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice. That was Samuel's responsibility, not Saul's responsibility. In fact, if Saul would offer the sacrifice, it was direct disobedience to God. But Saul was watching what was happening. And he saw the, the people leaving, the soldiers fleeing. And he thought, pretty soon there's going to be no army left to fight. We're already the underdogs and it's getting worse and worse each and every day. What am I going to do? So Saul, in a lack of faith and an abundance of fear decided that since Samuel hadn't showed up, he would offer the sacrifice before all of his army was gone. So he did that. And lo and behold, hold immediately after he finished, Samuel shows up. But what was Saul demonstrating? He was demonstrating a lack of faith. He was demonstrating disobedience to God. Now, a couple chapters later in chapter 15, we see that Saul and, and the people of Israel had a great victory against King Agag and his people, but, but God had given directions on what they were to do. They were to wipe out everything, and Saul chose to keep some of the things, some of the spoil, and, and keep King Agag alive as sort of a, you know, hey, look at us, look at me as king and our great army. We've defeated Agag, and here he is. We're bringing the, the conquered Direct disobedience to God. Saul was concerned about what he looked like rather than following God. And then he tried to make excuses when Samuel came and said, why do I hear the sheep and the goats? And then Saul says, oh yeah, well, we were going to save them to sacrifice. <laughs> Well, first of all, no, he wasn't. And second of all, even if he was, that's not what God called for. So Saul was concerned about himself. He was concerned about his position. He was concerned about his power. He was concerned about his reputation. But his son Jonathan was a different guy. We don't know what Jonathan was like physically. The Bible doesn't say anything about Jonathan like it did about Saul. Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else. There, there's no physical description of Jonathan given in Scripture. He may have been tall, dark, and handsome. We don't know. 
But the one thing we do know about Jonathan is his character. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, we see an amazing victory of Jonathan and his armor bearer. In 1 Samuel 14, 6, it says this. It says, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor. That was, you know, sort of a cool thing about being the son of the king. You had a guy that just carried your armor. But so he and his armor bearer, I'm sure they were good friends. They had spent some very serious time together in battle. So Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So there was this group of Philistines over on this hill, and Jonathan said, Let's go up, and let's see God at work. So they went up, and they defeated killed 20 of the Philistines. But Jonathan was different than his father because he was a man of faith who trusted God and obeyed what God called him to do. Saul focused on his power and position and Jonathan focused on what God desired. Saul continues on and what happens in 1 Samuel 17 is we have the story of David and Goliath familiar story, probably familiar with that one. And and David, as a young boy, kills Goliath. And as time goes on, pretty soon the people start to celebrate David even more than they celebrate Saul. Saul was the king. Saul had the position. But yet, people celebrated David and they they had a little song they came up with Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands and and it caused Saul to become very jealous and, and fearful for his position so he began to try to find ways to get rid of what he considered his enemy David 1 Samuel 18, 28, and 29 said, Thus Saul said and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. It was one of the presents that David got for killing Goliath was he got to marry the king's daughter. And so, uh, so Saul was like, Even my daughter is turning against me to follow the man that I gave to be her husband. So Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Saul, in his jealousy, did not want to let go of his power and desired to kill David. We go into chapter 19 of 1 Samuel. In the first verse, it says, Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. You see, Saul became angry that he wasn't getting all the praise that David was. And and then he became angry because his son Jonathan, a man of godly character, said, we can't kill David. Notice what Saul says and does in 1 Samuel chapter 20 in contrast to Jonathan. Beginning in verse 30, it says this, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan because Jonathan was saying, you can't kill David. So, and he, Saul, said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Catch what Saul's saying there. He's saying, listen, 
As long as David's around, you can't be king, Jonathan. What are you thinking? Now therefore, send and bring him to me. Bring David to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him, at Jonathan, to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Now Saul was trying to kill David. In fact, he did the same thing he did with Jonathan. He had done with David, throwing a spear at him, trying to put him up as a picture on the wall. And so he does that with David, and now he does that with Jonathan, because, Jonathan, what are you thinking? This guy should be your enemy. He's the one who's taking your position. The people are looking to him rather than to us. He needs to be killed. But Jonathan has a much different attitude, a contrast of character to his father Saul. And then we see Jonathan and David. A friend in need is a friend indeed. Jonathan is an amazing example of friendship. Let me tell you, if you have a friend like Jonathan, things are going to be okay. David had a friend, Jonathan. 1 Samuel 18.1 tells us that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as, him as his own soul, as himself. Jonathan was just as concerned about David as he was about himself. He built a relationship with David, and Jonathan was willing to give up a great deal, even his life. And at that time, David had very little to give in return. And so we see Jonathan protects David from his father, King Saul. And we see a very sad story in 1 Samuel 23 as these two friends, Jonathan and David, are getting ready to separate, knowing that they probably will never see each other again. And it says this in 1 Samuel 23, beginning in verse 16. It said, Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Jonathan said, Listen, I know God wants you to be king, and I will stand with you no matter what. And the two made a covenant. Jonathan willingly stepped aside and protected the one who was going to take his position. His friendship was selfless, unwavering. It was heroic. Now, I want to spend just a couple minutes and take a little rabbit trail and give you a little twist to the story that you may or may not be familiar with. So, Jonathan and David had made a pact, and we see that in, in, in chapter 23. Also in chapter 20, they made that decision as, Saul, as Jonathan was protecting David from Saul. And Jonathan knew that David was the one that God had called to be king. 
And so as part of this pact they made, a covenant that they made, is that they would watch out for each other and each other's children. Well, if you read on a few chapters, you see that in a battle, both Saul and Jonathan are killed. And then as you head into 2 Samuel, David ends up becoming king. But one of the things that David does when he becomes king is he does this. He said, you know, I made a covenant with Jonathan and with Saul that I would take care of their family. Is there anyone in the family of Saul, in the family of Jonathan? He had made the covenant with Jonathan, but it was his family. And in honoring of the king who spent his time trying to kill him, David sought out anyone in the king's family. Now, you have to understand what usually happened in that culture. They would seek out people from the former king's, uh, king's family. They would seek them out to kill them because they would consider that they would be a threat to the throne. This guy was in the line of the king, and so maybe that person will step up and, and try, to, try to take the position back for his family. But instead of doing that, David sought out Jonathan's family to try to honor and take care of them. The opposite of what the culture suggested, but exactly what God desired. And he found that Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. And when Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, oftentimes when the king is killed, then there is uprising and there descendants are in danger and so what happened we see that that the nurse and Mephibosheth was just a very young boy a few years old at the time the nurse tried to pick him up and take him and as he did that or as she did that she dropped him and he broke his legs and so he could never walk properly again so Mephibosheth in many ways is considered of little or no value and he went to live in a place called Lodabar which basically means wasteland. But David sought out this young man. At this time, it was quite a few years later, so he was a young man. And he gave him a place at the king's table, a place of great honor, demonstrating that he would take care of him. And he also gave Mephibosheth all the land that had been owned by his grandfather Saul. What an incredible story. It's a picture of what God has done for us. We, without God, have little value, no value. We're sinners. But yet God in his grace has given us the opportunity to have our sins to be, given, be forgiven, to be part of God's family, to have eternal life. Now that's what David did in response to Jonathan. But when Jonathan and David made that covenant, Jonathan was the one who gave everything to protect David when David didn't have much to give in response at that time. A friend. 
See, oftentimes when we think of a friend, we, we want someone where we can get something from the relationship. What do they have to give? What are they bringing to the table? I, I don't want to be a friend with someone where I'm continually being the one who is, the one is giving and giving and giving. That's a, an ungodly, natural thought. But instead, Jonathan had the opposite. He was a man of character who wanted to give whether anything came back in return or not. You see, Jonathan was an unlikely hero. He was a hero who gave up his power. Now, we, we want to think that, that it takes the acquisition of power to be a hero, but Jonathan that recognized that a true hero simply follows God. We say, you know, if I just had this position, just think of all the things that I could do. I mean, picture Jonathan. He said, you know, if I was king, I, I would lead the people in, in honoring God and I would make sure that, that it was the center of our society, the, the worship of God, all these things that I could do. And if I had the king, I'd have the power to implement all of these wonderful things. So obviously God wants me to have that position. And it's do me. I'm entitled. It. I'm the, the oldest son of the king. That's how it works. But instead, Jonathan said, you know what? God has chosen David. And I'm going to do everything I can to stand with him and by him to honor God in obeying and seeking out God's plan, God's will. Jonathan was a hero, not because he had the power to do things, but because he gave up the power to honor God. Jonathan was a hero because he put others first. A true hero cannot be selfish. Selfishness and hero are opposites. Think about it. someone that, that goes into a burning building. And last week we just sort of gave a little bit of a brief description of a, of a hero. And we thought of heroes. But, but that person going into that burning building, what are they doing? They're risking their life for others. That's a selfless action. If you want to be a hero, you've got to be selfless. Jonathan was willing to live for David and he was willing to even die for David. John chapter 15 and verse 13 says this, greater love has no one than this than, a, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The ultimate sacrifice of a hero, to be willing to die for that other person. You see, Jonathan was a hero because he put others first. But Jonathan was a hero by helping those around him or others succeed. He protected David from the anger and jealousy of Saul. 
And you think about it, what, what David went through. I mean, he spent, he spent many years of his life hiding in the caves from King Saul. And King Saul, who should have been leading the people, focusing on God, instead spent his time and put his soldiers in danger, chasing after David. Saul, completely self-absorbed, But Jonathan was busy saying, how can I make David succeed? If you want to be a hero, you need to spend your life helping others. Now, Saul looked the part of a hero, but Jonathan was the one who truly stepped up. Now, it's interesting because you have some parallel stories. And, and in 1 Samuel 16, Saul has, has disobeyed God multiple times. And finally, God tells Samuel, and he says, Listen, Samuel, I've taken the throne away from Saul. So I want you to go to this little place, Bethlehem, And I want you to find the family of Jesse. And when you find the family of Jesse, you're going to go and anoint one of his sons to be king. Now, first thing Samuel thought was, that might not be good for my health. Because what's going to happen when Saul hears that I'm tramping around Israel and anointing a new king? It's not going to go over well with Saul. And God says, it'll be okay, Samuel. You go there, you do your sacrifices. I'm in control here. So Samuel goes down and, and, he, and he meets with Jesse and said, hey, can you have your, we're going to have this sacrifice and I need to have your sons come because we're going to anoint one king. So Jesse brings all of his oldest sons, all of his sons except one, the youngest, who is out in the fields taking care of the sheep, which by the way was the lowest job. Jesse didn't even think to invite David to the inauguration, anointing. So they they go, and the first guy, the the oldest son's name is Eliab, or Eliab, you pronounce it one of those two ways, I always call him Eliab, and so anyway, they bring him, and this guy is, I mean, you know, he's gonna go on the front cover of a magazine. He is impressive. And so Samuel is amazed by him. Jesse's been amazed by him. Surely this is the one that God's going to anoint. So I'm sure Samuel's ready. He's like, okay. And God says, nope, not him. And then they go to the next and the next and the next all the way down. And for everyone, God says, no. And they get to the end of the line. Samuel's puzzled. Uh, Jesse, do you, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, oh, yeah. <laughs> Almost forgot. That's not in the Bible, but you sort of picture that. 
My youngest son, I, I didn't bother to invite him. He's out watching the sheep. Well, bring him in. So they brought David in, and God says, that's the one. Now, this is before David had fought against Goliath. And we see that God says a very interesting thing in that passage when he passes on Eliab. It says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God's not looking for someone with the looks or the position or the power. He's looking for someone who is faithful. Now, God uses people in power. Absolutely. And if you have a position, honor God in whatever that position is. And God's going to use you. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I don't know what all I have to give. God has put you right where you need to be. And while man may look on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And what was the difference between Saul and Jonathan? Saul was focused on himself, while Jonathan was focused on others. Saul was focused on his reputation, while Jonathan was focused on his character. Saul was focused on what would benefit him. Jonathan was focused on what would honor God and benefit others. A hero, Jonathan. So we need to be like Jonathan, a hero who followed God's plan rather than his own. That is a hero. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, that you love us, that uh, we see in the character of Jonathan the importance of obeying and honoring you. Lord, help us to be like Jonathan, whatever our position or lack thereof. Help us to be faithful. And as faithful servants of you, we know that you will use us to impact our world and we will give you the glory. And we thank you for your faithful love toward us. Help us to faithfully serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.